finish your sentences and thoughts and hugs and high fives. That's great. And then we'll get started. This morning we're looking at, frankly, one of the toughest texts I think that uh, people in our day have. I, I think this is one of the texts that we have the most trouble with. Um, and I want to remind us of where we were last week. On, on the side here we have this beautiful clothesline, which comes out of Howard Thurman's quote. I'll, I'll read it for you again. Uh, he writes, one may find it extremely helpful to discover a clothesline in which all of one's feelings and thoughts and desires may be placed. And last week, we spent some time talking about theodicy, which we're talking about again. Again, theodicy is an explanation of the persistence of evil in a world God loves and can act in. So why is there evil when God loves us and God is powerful and God, we say all of the, how can they both exist, right? And instead of jumping to a snap conclusion and a snap decision, we said, let's put some things on the clothesline and just let God speak into them. See them, write them out. Uh, like the, How is it that evil can exist? Instead of coming up with a simple, quick answer that ultimately won't satisfy, what if we just look at it a bit? What if we trust that God is big enough to handle our questions or our beliefs or our feelings. And this is a little bit different step in a relationship with God than some of us know. And I recognize that, but last week, uh, not surprisingly, God was present and, 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 and did some stuff. And we're going to ask God to do the same today as we talk about the flood, which is not a light subject. Um, so as we begin, uh, we're, we're going to be in uh, Genesis 6 through 9. Typically, I've been giving you an outline. I just couldn't even come up with one for this. So we're just going to go through some scriptures, and I invite you to write it down and make a note in your phone, however you want to do it. But we see in Genesis 6, 6, we see that the Lord was sorry that he had made mankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. This is what we talked about last Week, how, how God grieves. And in verse 11, we see now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. So this is the setting that we're walking into today, right? Now we are not, we're not served well when we downplay evil. And that happens a little bit here, and that happens a little bit in our culture. We distance ourselves from evil in other spaces. We distance ourselves from evil in our own lives or in our own home. We don't know how to deal with it, so we just, well, we let our eyes get used to the darkness. You know how that can happen? Like if, if we're here for a couple more months, a couple more light bulbs go out, and then you just stop noticing that only like one of every ten light bulb works in your house. You're just used to the shadows. You, you, you just adjust, right? But that's not the way it was intended to be. And we do that with evil. Certain evils, certain 
atrocities we react to, but in general, we just kind of adjust, and that's not a good quality that we have. But the response to this text that we're looking at, this flood, the response in the room is really interesting. Because some people, some people, mature people who love Jesus, see that in light of great evil, this is a just God moving. God's a God of justice. God is holy. And so th- this, is, this is what God was led to. And for others, this is a stumbling block. Especially this idea of like an angry God means that it's no good God at all. A God who's destroying, that, that doesn't fit with how we see God. And as I kind of prepped for this week, I will... I tend to think more theologically or want to analyze the text and get into what do the words mean and all of that. But really, I think we need to approach this pastorally. And so we're going to spend, we're going to have an opportunity afterwards to, if you want to have questions about the actual text, I spent way too many hours on it. I would love to talk about it. We'll go over here. But for everybody as a whole, we're just going to pastorally look at this. And I want to start with a question for you. What kind of questions do you have about the flood. What category emerged? Is it like theological questions? Are they relational questions? Are they emotional questions? Does the flood make you feel uncomfortable in your relationship with God? Does it, does it make you feel some stuff you don't want to feel? Does it make you want to analyze the text? What, what is it? Because one of the things I'm learning is if I have an emotional question, I need an emotional answer. If I come to you and say, I feel sad, it's not helpful if at that exact moment you say, Matt, Scripture says don't feel sad. It's, not help- it's true, but it's not helpful. What's helpful is to see me and see that I'm sad. Right? If I come and I say, hey, we haven't talked in a while, and I relationally feel like I want to know, you know, and we have that awkward, like, are we okay conversation. I come with that question. Are we relationally okay? And you say, Scripture says we should all be brothers and sisters. That makes me feel like we're not okay. Because I came with a relational question, and you just karate chopped me with a theological answer. So the worst thing we can do, it's not that Scripture is wrong when it says we are sisters and brothers, but the worst thing we can do is not hear each other and not get there, right? But sometimes we don't even hear ourselves. So I want to give you just a minute. What type of questions are in you? Maybe it's about the flood. Maybe it's not even related to this. Maybe it's about your week. But what kind of questions are impacting your spiritual life right now, which is your everything? And then let's ask God to meet us in that type of question. Does that make some sense? So we're going to take like five seconds, because I know it's cold and a lot of things around us. Five seconds of being quiet in that. We're going to pray that God leads us through this, and then we'll go through the rest of the sermon, okay? Holy Spirit, I I thank you that you know where we are more than we do. 
And I pray that you would give us courage to bring forward the questions that we have. The things that make us feel unstable or uncertain. You allow us to see that you're meeting us in that exact spot. If it's making sense of our yesterdays, if it's making sense of your text, if it's relational, emotional, whatever it is, God, we ask that you would meet us and that we would see you and that we would feel seen. In your name, amen. Okay. So as we start the, now we're actually at the sermon. Okay. As we start this off, I want to I wanna know and go ahead and answer out loud, if you want, what is angry synonymous with in you? Not in the dictionary, but in your life. When you think of anger or someone being angry, what is that synonymous with? Harsh tone. Rejection. Shaming. Anything else? I heard something, but I didn't hear something. Defensiveness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, these are, these are good. Now, what if, what if that anger comes from an ultimate authority? What's that make us feel like? disrespect we can feel somewhat helpless right if it's this ultimate and un, unchallenged authority that is then angry well that can be a scary place and and this particularly right now in this time in this country this is a dangerous place within churches and i think this is part of what we feel when we come to texts like this we have too many angry leaders in churches too many of them look like me and are my gender and are my color and are my level of privilege and all of that kind of stuff. And too many have unchecked authority. But the leaders are in all shapes and sizes, right? But too many that are saying, listen or leave. Too many that are saying, this is the way we do it. And if you don't agree with me, then there's no space for you. Does that sound familiar? Then we hear things that are true. Like God's ways are higher than our ways. That's true. But that freaks us out. Because it sounds a lot like those leaders who say, don't challenge me. My, I know what you don't know. Then we hear things that are true. Like God doesn't need to be questioned. He can be trusted. But then that sounds like something that some leaders say, and it freaks us out, right? Some leaders who say, don't question, just blankly trust me. So because we tend to let image bearers stain the actual image, we tend to let one another stain how we see God, and our emotions kind of make this text even harder. So in Genesis 6, we see that God is grieved, not angry. God's grieved. But I bring up anger because there are times when God is angry. And we have to be able to be honest about that. In Exodus 4, we see that God is very angry at Moses. And you know what he does? He loves Moses. He steps towards him, not in hostility, but explains what's, what's going on. Out of anger, says, hey, 
I want you to see yourself correctly. And for some of us, we need to know when we play little, that actually makes God angry because he believes in us. He trusts us. He wants to work through us. And God is angry, but at times. But I want to say that if we only see grief and anger as harmful, then maybe we need a good and faithful God who who gets angry and feels grief in a way that's not harmful to redeem our understanding. Maybe our understanding's really broken. Maybe image bearers really stain everything. And we need to come back and we need to heal on some of this. And reality is in this text, God is grieved. And when God is grieved, God sees Noah. And Noah's not his... Like, oh, there's my buddy. There's other creation myths where the gods just randomly pick someone that they like. Noah stands out because Noah is righteous. But in our English version, it kind of messes with, this is the only time I'm going to do this. Well, there's two times. It kind of messes with our language a little bit. Righteous isn't really a great understanding how we do. Because we think he didn't mess up. We think he lived perfectly. Actually, if, if you all have a Spanish translation up... The Spanish translations get it right. The, the Spanish translations get it right. But they, uh, they, they say just. Noah was just. Noah sought justice. You see, righteousness and justice always belong together. It's not so much a moral thing. It's a standing with people is with, and with God. That's what righteousness is about. A vessel that is clean for God to use and clean and going out to other people. It's not just... Uh, that you won't find dirt on somebody. And so Noah is just, and God sees that. And then in verse 13, God said to Moses, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. Scripture says, God, God says, I'm going to destroy it. We can't say that it doesn't. We can get into some language stuff, and I will, if you want to talk about it afterwards over here, there's a couple little things that help us understand. But big picture, it says he's going, to, he's going to decreate everything he created. He's going to undo creation here. Now, this is not an angry God flooding the earth and like laughing in vengeance and enjoying this. It's not that. But I think if we're honest, some of us see it that way. And I think if we're honest, some of us would imagine it has to be that way. Because we're so hurt by people who have been our enemy or worked against us that we imagine that's the only way that anger can work out is this like, I enjoy your destruction. That's not what this is. In fact, the wording in Hebrew It's not that God is actively throwing waves, but that God is handing over creation. We know in Genesis that that God separates the waters of chaos, right, and lets land form. And it's as if God was holding that separate. And then the persistence and violence were, the evil and violence were so persistent that he let us have what we wanted. Just withheld, he, he stopped withholding. 
and the violence took over. I'm not saying this is making it easier. I'm just, we're just talking it through, right? We're trusting that whatever questions arise, we can go to God with, and God's big enough to handle these questions. And so God hands us over, and this happens over and over in Scripture, where people or peoples are handed over to what they want, this violence, this destruction. And that's not meant to be just semantics. That's meant to have us see some things here. Then we get to 723, and I'm skipping a lot of verses, but uh, we can read it together if you'd like. It says, he blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. Human beings and animals and creeping things and birds of the air, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him on the ark. The water swelled on the earth for 150 days. Think of that. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark. Lots out everything. For 150 days, it's a long time. And this water is colliding, and chaos is happening, and then God remembers Noah. And I don't know what exactly it means that God remembers Noah, but at that minute, the water stops rising. The text says that that's where it starts to recede. God begins to hold back chaos again. And the land becomes dry, right? It takes about the same, like this whole thing is like a year. Like that, that's a bit. I can read it in 20 minutes. I pretend it happened in 20 minutes. That's a year on that boat. Where all of the poop goes, I don't know. Where you go when you're frustrated and you're an introvert, I don't know. All those kind of things. I don't know how they did it. But a year on this boat. Now here's what really gets me. The land is dry, and if you read out some birds that are able to really determine that, yeah, the, the land's dry and an olive branch comes back. No one and his family stay on the boat. Now, when we do like a road trip, which has never been a full year of, of in one car, but when we do a road trip and like finally go to the bathroom after several hours, we all spill out of that car. And if we've gotten to the location... People are falling out. Items are falling. And like, it doesn't matter. Just let me out and let me be, right? When Noah and his family get there, they stay in the boat. They stay until God calls them out. Because the world they knew is gone. It's gone. They still live with this grief. And this gets to a little bit where our faith is and where our, even our gratitude is. We get to Thanksgiving. This is where I am living. Matt, Matt's going to help me out with something here. But it, for me, it's so much of this, hit. faith has had to look a certain way. And circumstances have had to look a certain way. And this telling of of Noah and the flood has always had to sound this certain way for me, and then it just didn't, it wasn't good news anymore. Because that doesn't match what I know of God. But often, faith and gratitude have always needed to be these really bright things. 
I felt like even when I come to God, I need to be happy, like I need to work all this stuff out so that I'm like putting my pleasant face on for God. You know what I mean? Or when we gather, we can be like victorious. And victorious as if nothing else exists. But that doesn't meet my life. This is the month where hopefully we practice a lot more gratitude, right? I am grateful. But I've lost some friends this year. And I've lost some family. And there's some pain and there's some brokenness. And all of that exists together. And that sounds different. That's what's like a minor chord. And our faith has to make room for minor chords. Because our God can handle challenging for us and the church doesn't always know how to do it but reality is I'm super thankful this year and I'm pretty broken I trust God but I don't know that I totally understand God those exist together and Noah obeys God and opens the door to the ark and he walks down to a world he doesn't recognize. He burns an offering. He offers an offering of gratitude. And I believe that's an offering of gratitude. I believe his heart is still grieving. It's grateful he's made it through it. But not in this, like, <laughs> kind of gratitude, you know? In fact, it's a deeper thing. It's something that can last. We see that God is still grieving here, too. God hangs his warrior bow. It's pretty to us. A rainbow is pretty. But it's to represent a warrior's bow. He hangs it in the sky as a reminder to himself, is what the text says. It'll never flood us out again. Because he handed us over, but that didn't solve the violence. It didn't solve the evil. So God's finding another way. In just a couple minutes, uh, we'll, we'll be done and you can, you can leave. There's actually a table of Isaac C stuff in the back as well if you want to do some pre-Christmas shopping. Uh, but we're going to invite some of you, if you want, to, to go over to this side. And if you have some relational questions about God or some emotional questions, that's a safe space to talk about them. If you want to talk about the text, we're going to go over here. If you want to just put a thought or a belief or something on the clothesline and be prayed over, uh, we have that as well. But I want to take a minute and just let you hear a brief summary of how this would have been heard by the early hearers of this story. See, there was great evil and violence on the earth. And God was so grieved he could no longer just hold back chaos. And so he saves this just Noah and all who are with him. We don't know that they're just, we just know that they're with him as this remnant 
of God's grace. And this is recorded at a time where there's a king named David that are starting to take and build a nation in this land. And they lost a lot of people coming to that space. And there's a lot of confusion, but there is this David and these people as a remnant of grace. And the second story of this is recorded at the time of Babylonian captivity. Their land is lost and their temple is destroyed and people are not the same, but there is a remnant of God's grace. And then to the early church, they know that Jesus had even asked, if this cup can pass, please let it, but your will be done. God does not hold back the violence and the evil on the cross. But because of that, Jesus and all who are with him are a remnant of grace. And all the recreation being done in Jesus and through Christ's church is the active work of God right now. It's the active story we're invited into right now. The way that God is choosing to trust and move through us to recreate in new ways. And we might have just gotten more questions, but I think God is big enough to handle all those questions that are emerging. I don't want to offer you a tame version of this because we don't read a tame version. But this is recorded as a story of hope to a people. And somehow I hope we can work our way there. Well, we have uh, an opportunity here to pray for a, a friend of ours who's going to see some family. Susan's going to come up and...